Hello, I'm Carl Hallecker, and welcome to Book Chat. Today joining us is Dr. Jenny Skirl, Associate Dean of the College of Liberal Arts at Westchester University, and the <clears throat> excuse me, and the author of Reconstructing the Beats. Jenny, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. First of all, uh, who were the Beats? Where did they get that name from, and, and who did they appeal to? Okay, that's several <coughs> questions at once. The, the Beats were a literary and artistic movement and also uh, a bohemian subculture that began in the 1940s um, and was pretty much an underground movement known by very few people except for the people who were involved in it throughout the 40s and early 50s. They came to national prominence in the late 50s when some major works were published very close together by Ginsburg, Kerouac, and Burroughs. And that's uh, The Long Poem Howl by Ellen Ginsburg, Jack Kerouac's On the Road, and uh, William Burroughs' Naked Lunch. These three seminal works uh, were very powerful literary works that got a lot of attention and therefore gave attention to the beat movement. And around that same time, a whole younger generation of writers and artists and bohemians um, identified themselves as beat as well so that it became a much larger and more public literary and arts movement in the late 50s early 60s the movement as a historical movement pretty much comes to an end in the mid to late 60s because at that time you have the whole hippie movement and youth revolt coming to the fore which reflects the influence of the Beats because a lot of those younger people were inspired by Beat literature and Beat Bohemia. Uh, I know there's different theories that uh, of how the uh, or origin of that name came about. Okay. Which one do you think is, is the one most, most plausible? Actually, I think it's pretty well known <laughs> that the term was invented by Jack Kerouac okay. in a conversation in the late 40s. In fact, I think there's an exact date, 1948, in conversation with his friend, John Clone Holmes who was also a writer associated with the Beats, that they were sitting around talking about how are we going to define our own generation in terms of our sensibility, our vision, our perspective, the kind of art that we want to create. And they came up with the term the Beat Generation. Now the origin of the term Beat comes from a kind of criminal and drug underworld that Kerouac and his friends were in touch with at the time. I mean, that's where the word comes from. Uh, so originally, the term has that meaning of sort of being a, a withdrawn, alienated dropout. But in terms of what the artists in the movement thought it meant, they added on to that meaning. They felt that it also meant a quest for spiritual vision. And Kerouac said the meaning of beat is beatific, referring to the beatific vision. And I would add on a third meaning because of the nature of the of the beat subculture that it also meant social criticism or social rebellion. So I always say it has three three meanings. Okay, fine. Thank you for <laughs> clarifying that. Uh, how have literary critics and academics traditionally regarded the beats and what led to some of the changes in their perceptions during the last two decades? Traditionally, uh, academics have ignored the beats all through the 60s and 70s the Beats were not taken seriously as a serious literary movement, as artists who deserved serious critical attention. During that same period, the mass media were launched sort of a whole campaign of making fun of the Beats. Um, you know, in 
cartoons, newspapers, magazine articles, TV programs like the Maynard Cribs character on the Dobie Gillis show. Um, so there seemed to be a general consensus in popular culture and in academic culture from the late 50s up through, say, the mid-70s, that the Beats were a lot of silly people we didn't have to pay much attention to, and that they weren't making a major contribution literarily or culturally. There's been a big change in that attitude in the last 20 years, starting in the 1980s. There's been, a, first of all, a huge, huge Beat revival, an interest in the Beats, both popular and um, literary. And there have been a whole group of uh, serious scholars in academe starting in the 80s and really burgeoning even more in the 90s who are devoting serious scholarly attention to the Beats. Um, the reason that's happening now is I think we're 50 or 60 years away from that movement and people can now look back historically and be more objective and dispassionate about it. Uh, also it takes that long to be able to get a historical perspective perspective on, on an, a historical event or a movement or a literary movement. Also at this late date, I think people are seeing the long-term influence that the Beats have had on our literature and our culture, and this can no longer be ignored from a scholarly point of view. Very good. Uh, you had mentioned some of the Beats, uh, Jack Kerouac, mm -hmm. Allen Ginsberg, William Burroughs. I, I believe you did some research on Burroughs mm -hmm. uh, specifically. What, uh, what made them among the most famous or, should I say, notorious Beats? Well, first, that all three have, have published some very powerful literary works that have gained a vast readership totally on their own. I mean, they were not being promoted by academics and they were not being promoted by the media. They found their own readers because they were really reaching people with their vision, with their style. Um, and each one has produced a whole body of lifelong work. Um, to maybe address that one by one a little bit, Kerouac has written about a dozen novels which he intended to be the saga of his generation, that is the, the post-World War II generation, an all-encompassing body of work that, that reflects that era and the, the inner life and consciousness of people at that time. And he was important as an experimentalist with his spontaneous prose style. He has a whole different style of writing which is very powerful and engaging to readers. Um, Ginsberg has produced a whole body of poetry which is very much uh, engaged with the social issues and political issues of our time, decade by decade. And he has been a very public political voice, dating from the 60s era on. Um, Burroughs, again, published a whole body of work, about a dozen novels, involved in a lot of multimedia experimentation and film experimentation from the 60s on. In his old age, became a painter and produced a really interesting body of, of visual art. And I think in a series of novels from Naked Lunch on, going through two, two trilogies that he wrote, uh, a writer who's had a very powerful vision in terms of his social criticism and his vision of our society, and who's also been important as an avant-garde experimentalist, inventing experimental prose techniques like the cut-up and the routine, um, sort of non-narrative 
novels. Mm -hmm. So uh, why did you produce this book? How does this one differ from the uh, some of the others that are available? Well, I really wanted to make a contribution to the scholarly reassessment of the beats that is going on right now. I thought it was important to put together a book that really addresses the beat movement from the perspective of current uh, critical theory and critical perspectives. I thought this is the time, 50 or 60 years later, that we have to look back historically and do a historical reassessment. We also need to be looking at recontextualizing the, the three to six most famous writers who are the ones that people know the best, such as Ginsburg, Kerouac, and Burroughs, mm -hmm. seeing them in that historical context and in that broader cultural and literary context in which they actually existed. They would not have been a movement if they consisted only of three people. A movement <laughs> consists of many, many more right. people than that. And there were dozens and dozens of people who were associated with the beat movement. And the other purpose of the book is to begin a recovery project to start recovering some of those lesser known writers uh, who are well worth, who made a contribution, who are well worth reading and paying attention to. And that's the middle segment of this book where uh, there are essays on some of the women mm -hmm. beats and some of the African-American beats. Yeah, and we'll talk some, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about some of those, but uh, the, be the Beats, did they have a specific vision of society? I, I think what they, were re what they were doing was reacting to a, a post-World War II society that a lot of people were reacting to negatively, and what was unique about them was the way they were reacting to it. Everybody at the time was observing that the United States of America had turned into a military industrial complex as a result of World War II, and that this was a, a thing that concerned people because that wasn't our tradition as a country. The um, threat of the Soviet Union and the consequent Red Scare in the United States and McCarthyism was something a lot of people were pointing out and reacting to. There was a huge uh, suburbanization taking place of America at that point, and going along with that, a homogenization of, of middle-class culture. Um, there, there were a lot of fears and anxieties about the fact that our uh, socioeconomic order was now being taken over by huge bureaucratic organizations. You had books coming out like the sociological books, like mm -hmm. The Organization Man and The Lonely Crowd responding to that. Mm -hmm. And we had a very conservative, repressive culture at the time where everyone was expected to try to fit into certain pigeonholes and be as normal and <laughs> conventional and average as possible. And specifically with a lot of restrictions on gender roles. The husband being the breadwinner and going off in his gray flannel suit and the wife staying at home in suburbia and being the wife and mother and everybody having to abide by those very strict social roles. A lot of people were pointing out these changes in American culture after World War II. And a lot of people were expressing concern and expressing feelings of alienation. What's different about the Beats is that they had a different response to it. They wanted to create a community, they wanted to drop out from that society and create a community of their own in which they would explore alternative forms of consciousness, alternative social identities, and going along with that, altern new alternative art forms and experimental literature. They were trying to create a new culture. 
And one really important part of it that I think has historically been overlooked is they were really serious about spirituality. I mean, one of the things that they were in rebellion against was um, materi the materialism of American society, um, the lack of spiritual values, the fact that the traditional mainstream religions didn't seem to be responding to that very well or meeting people's spiritual needs very well. So they were actually on a spiritual quest that they were conducting through alternative lifestyles, alternative literatures, alternative cultures, and by getting together with other like-minded people in a bohemian subculture, they attempted to create a new culture, which they hoped might lead to changes in the larger culture, which in fact did happen in the 60s. Interesting, because we had the same kind of spiritual movement in the early 1970s, too. Same kind of factors were uh, creating uh, alienation among the youth and not allowed to turn to different kinds of Eastern religions at mm -hmm. that same time. But, and that's a continuation of what the Beats started. Right. A lot of those younger people were actually reading the Beats and were inspired okay. by the Beats. Very good. Uh, Beats are typically stereotyped as antisocial, apolitical, and apathetic, just like our friend Maynard G. Krebs you were talking about. Right, he's the stereotype. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> stereotypes are invariably wrong. So can you please tell us how uh, this portrayal is right or wrong? Well, it's incorrect, and that's what some of the essays in the book and mm -hmm. my, um, my lead essay are about. Um, rather than being apathetic, the Beats were very serious about finding new values, new spiritual values as a basis for a way of living. Um, they were very serious about their artistic experimentations and developing and producing a whole new body of literature and art forms that would actually reach people. Um, what was it? Apathetic? Apathetic, apolitical. Apolitical. Right. This is an interesting one. They were called apolitical at the time because it didn't fit into the conventional political right. categories, which were either liberal or conservative, capitalist, communist, right. Republican, Democrat. I mean, those were the only ways that people could think politically at the time. And when the Beats... Uh, weren't acting according to those categories. They were said to be apolitical. In fact, as um, one of the essays in the book points out, this is by Clinton Starr, they were actually involved in a lot of important <clears throat> political activity, which had to do with um, civil, uh, civil rights uh, and um, fighting against um, segregation, homophobia, uh, attempts at censorship, which, you know, it's a defense of the First Amendment, you know, they were defending the, our First Amendment rights. So they were actually involved in a lot of um, activist, political activist activity at the time, but it didn't fit into the conventional categories. Buddhism played uh, quite an important role in the lives of some of the uh, beat writers like Kerouac and Ginsburg. Can you tell us why? Yes, this follows up on my comment that they were really, many of these writers, on a spiritual quest. And since they, didn't, since they didn't feel that contemporary American society and the traditional forms of religion in America or traditional denominations were answering their need, they were looking for alternative uh, spiritual uh, philosophies. And that was one of the reasons they turned to Asian philosophies, looking to something totally non-Western, a totally different way of thinking about the inner life. So, Quite a few of the beat writers 
became seriously interested in Buddhism and actually became Buddhist. Kerouac started seriously studying Buddhism on his own as a self-taught person just reading in the library starting in the early 50s. And over time he evolved his own religious philosophy that was a combination of Buddhism and his uh, particular brand of French-Canadian Catholicism. And it does inform his later works from the Dharma Bums on, which Dharma Bums came out in 1958. And of course you can tell by the title of that book right. that there's an allusion to uh, Asian religion. Ginsburg uh, traveled in the Orient quite a bit throughout India, uh, Southeast Asia, Japan, uh, explored various uh, Asian religions and ultimately became a convert to uh, Tibetan Buddhism, uh, taking serious vows in the, I think it was in the 19, early 1970s, becoming a follower of a man named Chung Pa who founded the Naropa Institute, now Naropa University in uh, Colorado, which is a Buddhist college. And it was there that he and Ann Waldman founded the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics, a poetry school, which combines uh, sort of the beat tradition of poetry with Buddhist meditation practices. But there are a whole large number of other people associated with the movement who, who have been serious Buddhists. Gary Snyder is one. He actually spent several years in a Zen monastery in Japan in the, in the late 50s. And that Buddhist perspective informs his poetry and all his work. Uh, his close friends, uh, Philip Whelan and Lou Welch, also had a serious interest in Buddhism. And Wayne, uh, Whelan uh, became a Zen uh, abbot, the head of a Zen monastery out in California. Um, Joanne Kiger who was at one time married to Gary Snyder, also spent several years in Japan studying Zen and the Buddhist perspective informs her entire body of work. Uh, Ann Waldman, of course, herself, uh, who's a faculty member out at Naropa, is a Buddhist. And I could name many others. It, it was a perspective that appealed to this particular group of, of writers because of their approach to spirituality and their approach to their art. Well, just in this conversation, you had uh, mentioned several beat writers who were women. Now, when we think of a beat, mm -hmm. when we traditionally think of men, but that wasn't the case. Uh, can you talk briefly about women in the beat movement and was their role any different than the role men played within the movement? There are a lot of women associated with the beat movement, particularly the second generation that comes along in the late 50s, a, a younger group of beats. And some of the women I would mention, just in terms of people knowing their names, are Joanna McClure, Joanne Kiger, Diane DePrima, um, Ann Waldman, Brenda Frazier, Joyce Johnson, and, and Hetty Jones, the latter two having published their memoirs recently. They were interested in a lot of the same um, philosophies and artistic experimentation as, as the male beats. They were obviously women who were rebelling against conventional roles for women because they dropped out and went to live in Bohemia and led very unconventional lives and devoted themselves to creating art. The difference is, uh, I think, that throughout the 40s, 50s, and early 60s, the culture in the United States was a very sexist culture, and that included Bohemia, and that included mm -hmm. the Beats. So they were often overlooked. They just didn't get as much respect and attention as writers. Um, 
And as time went by, sort of their names get dropped out of the history, as has often happened with, with um, women writers of the past. So we're now engaged in a recovery project to go back and look at who those women were and, what, and bring their works back into print. Now, an interesting thing about the Women Beats that's, that's somewhat unique in terms of that scholarly recovery project is they have become part of their own recovery because most of them are still alive and they started writing and publishing their memoirs, which brought more attention to the whole idea of Women Beats and that has helped to bring them and their work back into public attention. Oh, and so essentially we had the, the women beats who were rebelling not only against society in general, but also against their role in the beat movement. Right. Um, another uh, big influence you talk about in your book on the beats in addition to Buddhism was African-American culture. Uh, how did this culture affect beat writing? All of the, the beat movement from the late 40s through the mid 60s is exactly contemporaneous with the movement in modern jazz from Parker to Coltrane, which is a great, great period of jazz music. And all the beats were very, very interested in this music and the people who created it, who were African-American men. They very much admired this art form. They the, the techniques of jazz improvisation influenced their own uh, literary and visual art that they created. They lionized these performers as being the epitome of what is hip and cool and sort of being kind of uh, a paradigm of a certain kind of experimental artist. So they were very, very interested in an expansion from that too, very, very interested in African-American culture and African-American art forms. At the same time, a number of African-Americans were a part of Bohemia at that time. Bohemia was one part of American culture that wasn't segregated. So there were black writers and artists and musicians who were hanging out in the same clubs and bars and cafes and interacting with, with the white writers and the white artists. So it was, um very much a non-discriminatory um, uh, movement. Right. Um, and that's one of the ways that the Beats are a forerunner of what came later. Yeah. I mean, they really were rebelling against some of the conventional prejudices of American society at the time, and one of them was segregation and racism. Right. Well, Jenny, I, I thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm sorry we ran out of time. There were many more <laughs> topics I wanted to discuss, right. but uh, I will leave it to the audience to come in and Borrow this book, Reconstructing the Beat. It's informative, it's scholarly, and it's important. It helps recapture the movement that Jenny was talking about that meant so much uh, to American society in the post-war era. I'm Carl Hallecker, and this is Book Chat.